Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 206. The Fun Ideas Podcast is brought to you in part by Freaky Magazine. I contribute material to every issue, so give it a try. Hey kids, have you read Freaky? The magazine of weird humor for freaks like you. Freaky Magazine is a way out collection of weirdo comics, kooky gags, photo funnies, social satire, and surreal collage. 52 pages of insanity in the tradition of magazines of yore like Cracked, Plop, and Zap. Special offer for Fun Ideas listeners, get a free sample copy in the mail, made of smelly newsprint and smudgy ink the old-fashioned way. Just message your mailing address to the slow poisoner at gmail.com that's the slow poisoner at gmail.com while supplies last on sale now is mark arlo's latest book called pac-man the first animated show based upon a video game this book tells the story of pac-man phenomenon and goes through the entire history of the hanna-barbera animation studios the history of the video games, pre-Pac-Man, the history of Pac-Man, the character, the video game, the spin-off, the merchandise, and the anime TV series. Each and every episode of the classic 1980s series is covered and examined. Plus, Mark Arlen covers how Pac-Man has been honored on various anniversaries, including the 40th anniversary in 2021. A fun read for casual and hardcore Pac-Man and video game fans alike, featuring many character model sheets and other images. Available online through Bear Manor Media, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. Get your copy today. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store. Based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by PopOptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay and search for Lee's Comics, Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order, and you'll receive a free bonus gift. Stars of Walt Disney Productions is my latest book out now. I am almost ready to turn it into my manuscript for Unconditionally Mad. I'm also working on my TV Cartoons That Time Forgot book, plus articles on Nightmare of the Galloping Ghost and Harvey Superheroes. On today's show, we have a singer best known for her appearance at the original Woodstock, the song Lay Down, Candles in the Rain, and of course, Brand New Key. Here she is, Melanie. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and it's another episode of Fun Ideas Podcast. And today I have 
uh, the wonderfully talented singer-songwriter, Melanie. How are you today? Hi. Hi. I'm really good. It's um, the day of uh, losing an hour, so it's, <laughs> yes. uh, it's really, it's like, for me, it's a transatlantic flight. Yes. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's, I don't know what it is. It's just, it takes more out of me to lose this hour. I I don't mind gaining the hour in the um, fall, but of course that also means that you get an extra hour of darkness, right? Which is terrible. <laughs> my my, if I ran the world, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go for that next time, you know. But <laughs> if I ran the world, I would definitely do away with daylight savings time. I right. think the time we're on now is perfect. Mm -hmm. It suits everybody. I don't think there's anyone who would worry about it. Yeah. I'm surprised, and I'm not going to name any names, just any of our current leaders in this country, they just, how do they put up with it? I mean, it's like, granted, they have people yeah. helping them out and everything, but they still have to show up public appearances, make speeches and everything like that. It's like, I, I, would, know. I would rather be prepared. And so if I got, if I was president, the first thing I'd do Executive order. No more daylight saving time for anybody. No more daylight saving time. It's gone. I, think, I, I mean, it had, what did it have to do with farmers or something at one point, right? Yeah, that's what they always say, you know, and then they, yeah. but who knows, but then, you know, farmers can turn on a light. It's that's right all. up there with, it's somehow connected to Groundhog Day. I'm yeah. not sure why. They all, they're sort of like those little nonsensical things. Well, like, I'm mad at that Groundhog this year. I mean, it's like, no, I live in Oregon, and normally it might snow once during the winter. This, oh. this year it snowed like five times, and I'm like, you know? no, it's the So I'm shaking my fist. Yeah. I'm like, Groundhog! <laughs> yeah. Well, I've always had a, a soft spot for the day because, well, first of all, the animal is so cute. Yes. You know, how could you not like that? But it's the day before my birthday. I was going to say, isn't so it around like, your birthday? Oh. You're, you're, somehow you're, connected. Your birthday month, I've read. <laughs> You celebrate yeah, the whole I take the whole month. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm familiar with that. My sister is born on Groundhog Day, so. <laughs> oh, oh, God. <laughs> so, February and Groundhogs are very close to our family. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, so, let's get this out of the way because I'll forget and you'll forget and then Charles will be mad. So, anyway. I want to thank Charles F. Rosenay, uh brings me a lot of the musical guests that have been on the Fun Ideas podcast, and um, one of the reasons why he offered Melanie is because uh, she has contributed to Charles. Char, she has contributed to Charles's new book, which we'll ask about, the Book of Top Ten Beatles List, and she's also appearing as at her first celebrity signing appearance at Chiller Theatre. Yes. Chiller Theater Expo, April 28th through 30th, 2023, in Parsippany, New Jersey. How's that for a place? <laughs> That's great, Parsippany. <laughs> I used to live in New Jersey, but now I'm living in Nashville. Okay. <laughs> but, but um, yeah, this is my very first, and um, I've never done one of these, but I guess, you know, you get to a place where, I like to say I waver between historic and hysteric. <laughs> and there I am. You yeah. know. Now I'm a, I'm a new entity. You know, yeah. I'm a part of history. Right. Whoever thought, you know, this would ever happen. I mean, I just thought I was a person and 
uh, you know, going to do this for the rest of my life. And I, I still do, you know, I sing, I write, I perform. I just got off a Netherlands tour, but, um, I've never done one of these autograph things. And apparently a, a lot of people who've had long careers do them and it gives people a chance to meet mm-hmm. well for guys maybe I was the poster girl that they jerked off to for oh. all I know <laughs> but, um, you know and then they get to meet me and then they can say thank god she didn't marry me oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, for, for me you know, I'm a little bit be... young when, when you were at your peak I was probably six years old five and six I, I'm 56 now so it's like okay, I was... well that's no excuse <laughs> yeah. like but me. you were very pretty uh, during the again I watched a lot of clips today you know because to prepare for this I you know I saw you in tonight show clips with Johnny Carson uh, from like 72 73 you know and it's like wow yeah. attractive lady so I will say that <laughs> and you know the funny thing is I never thought of myself I always felt very awkward mm-hmm. I didn't look like you know Twiggy mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I, and, and you know you sort of judge yourself when you're a teen mm-hmm. by the, the magazines that the magazines aim for your demographic you know so they and and here are the the girls who are just coming of age and they've got you know, a little acne, and and they're having quite formed, and their waist is a little too thick or thin or something, and their legs aren't long enough, and <laughs> and there they are judging themselves by these fashion magazines where all the photos are heavily airbrushed anyway, and nobody really looks like what they look think they look like but you know that's that was the world and and it's even worse now i mean i don't think i don't think anybody knows what anybody looks like everything is also there are so many apps you know that you can you you know you get a photo of somebody you don't really know what they look like Mm -hmm. (laughs) well there's so many apps that you know Pull around with the appearance. So. But anyway, the, anyway. Po- the points in your favor, though, is you can write songs, you can play the guitar, and you can, uh, at least in your younger days, I don't know if you still do it, really belt it out. You know, <laughs> it's like, um, like oh, a. Mo- I belt it out. Oh, okay. I have no problem with my belt. Okay. It's, um, it's the little refined things they're not as smooth but for for me it's no reason to retire you know i mean a lot of people want to be their 20 year old self and Mm -hmm. they you know decide that well i'm not going to do it anymore because i don't sound like i sounded when i was 20 but that's kind of weird in itself when you think yeah i mean it would be it would be really strange if you did yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. If you sounded like you sounded when you were twenty, yeah, it would something would be wrong. You know, something <laughs> taking too much adrenochrome or something. You know? I, I, I assume since you're still performing and everything, you still have a, a passion for it, and you're not just yeah. Well, that's that's what I do. Yeah, you know, I yeah. really don't. I never did anything else. I didn't mm-hmm. really have a day job, mm-hmm. uh, and I. I met my husband, who was my record producer, mm-hmm. early on, right after I got out. I graduated um, school, and 
went for auditions here and there, but not, I was very shy, so <laughs> I had a lot of back off on that. Mm-hmm. And um, didn't, you know, get out and mingle. And, you know, I have the worst personality to be, have achieved any kind of celebrity. <laughs> but, um, no, because I'm just like, I, I just, I hold my breath. Yeah. When I go to a party, I realize I don't, I don't even breathe. <laughs> you know, I go to a party, I meet people, I'm smiling, I'm shaking hands, I'm having a great old time, they think. And then, you know, I run to the, the, the ladies room, you know, <laughs> and have to, have to catch my breath, right. drink water, drink water, catch my breath and go back out. It's, 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 I, I don't know. I'm, I've always been very introvert. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I I, but, I have too. Yet I do this podcast, which is really weird. So it's <laughs> crazy, isn't it? Like, why, why in the world would I? And, and you know, I'm pretending that oh, I'm just having such a great time. <laughs> but all I want to do is go home. Yeah. But I, I think, honestly, as a as a fan, um, that's one of the appealing things about you. You. You appear natural and try to be yourself as much as possible to the public. You don't sit there and put on airs and pretend to be more, you know, ultra sophisticated or something that you're no. really not. So you know, it's no, like, I, so I, 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 I could never pull off anything but what it is. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so when did you get? Your start, I mean, it sounds like you were singing as early as, like, age four. So were you just singing all your life and everything? Yeah, I sang. My mom was a jazz singer. Mm-hmm. You know, she, Billie Holiday and and Bessie Smith and Peggy Lee. You know, I grew up with listening to those um, people and the, all kinds of jazz musicians. She loved jazz. She loved she we'd go to the village and I, I'd hung, hang around with her, you know, just kind of being in the clubs and <laughs> being her kid, you know. I'd just like help her if she needed something, you know, glass of water or something. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I just kind of grew up around that. But uh, she wasn't a famous person, you mm-hmm. know, but she she it was her passion. Mm-hmm. You know, she just loved music, and she loved musicians and being around that life. Mm-hmm. Um, I myself didn't really. I just, you know, I was her kid, so I went along. But um, <laughs> when I, I would go to the village and I would bring my guitar and somehow end up on, you know, in Washington Square... Uh, singing mm-hmm. and again you know you mentioned my belt and I have a really loud um, belt <laughs> <laughs> and somehow you know it was like an outlet of some kind and it's it's funny because even though I'm, I'm such an introvert I would need to sing to people mm-hmm. you know and that outweighed my reservations so I'd be out there and singing and uh, when it, when the song was over, I'd just run away. Yeah. I'd, I'd never waited. I never waited to get paid or, um, you know, or, you know, have people. I didn't have a guitar case at that point. I, all the, all the folky people, um, just had 
their guitars strapped over their back, and um, you know only the kids from Juilliard, you know, had guitar <laughs> cases. Mm-hmm. So um, I was, you know, definitely not one of those. So. I would, you know, go to the village with my guitar strapped on my back with my mom, and mm-hmm. and she would be in the club with Sam Man Taylor or something, or mm. Sun Ra, and I would be out there, um, you know, just singing and and not meeting people, not <laughs> meeting people, just singing and not meeting people, and um, yeah, I didn't have the career mentality yeah. or anything like that so i just so did you, know, you have I any just, goal in mind or did you just like to sing i mean were you i just wanted to sing That's and fine. i didn't okay. have I, I didn't have like a i didn't think that i had a prayer mm. first of all i felt like i said i didn't feel pretty mm-hmm. um in the in the way that you know the magazines had people looking so i just um you know, I did, didn't feel like there were, I had a chance in hell to uh, ever do it mm-hmm. as a profession. So, no, I just, it was just my outlet. I would go back, and, and I was, I had a, a rough life um, as a teenager in um, school. I was always like the oddball. <laughs> it was before the term hippie. Right. You know, so they either they might say I was a beatnik. Yeah. In fact, um, one school I went to, they said I was a an anarchist from New York <laughs> that they sent in to to stir up trouble. Wow. I mean, see, I was like, I was so. But that's what happens when you're not um, when you're when you're shy, you can be ter- interpreted. As so many things, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I kept being called aloof, mm-hmm. aloof and stuck up. Right. But it was so the, it was so the opposite. Like all I wanted to do was blend. <laughs> just, yeah. I wasn't a blender. Requisite, <laughs> <laughs> no. Anyway, uh, I, was, I might have been a mixer, but not a blender. Right. <laughs> um. Now, along you started singing at a young age. Did you start uh, playing the guitar and also songwriting at an early age as well, or when did that? I, I started writing songs when I was a little girl, hmm. and I wrote because I said my mom was a she liked um, torch singers, mm-hmm. you know, as well, and so I would write these, I guess, takeoffs on. <laughs> Cry me a river, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that I, I had no idea what I was talking about, you know. The man I love, you know. Mm-hmm. I was four, you know. It wasn't like I had any real reality on any of this, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I would, I would write these sort of whatever they were, and um, I'd sing them to my mom, and my mom thought it was really cute, and she would take me to. Um, a guy called Jimmy the Greek, and we lived in Astoria, Queens. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy the Greek had a reel-to-reel recorder, and for a small price, he would record people. Mm. It was, I guess, the first um, karaoke type. Right. <laughs> Except, you know, he didn't provide the music. You just, you, you just, I would just go in, and I played um, from early, early on. I played a. A baritone ukulele, 
because mm. that what was in my house and <laughs> we had one and I just picked it up and I think my mother and my uncle taught me a few chords and um, mm. from there you know I, I'd write songs and it was really from a young age that I started putting songs together and uh, yeah and I played the ukulele but I, 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 when I became a teenager, the ukulele had this kind of farty Arthur Godfrey vibe, you know. <laughs> and um, and I, I, I wanted to be much cooler than that. Oh. And um, and so uh, Joan Baez was my idol. You know, mm. I, the first woman I had seen who played the guitar and sang. Mm. And I wanted I wanted to be Joan Baez, you know. So uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> but um, no, because she had this pure voice, you know. And I always had her kind of raspy, more like Brenda Lee, you know, kind of a voice. And she she was another one that I really loved, mm-hmm. Brenda Lee and Joan Baez. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I decided I was going to teach myself how to play guitar but I, of course I needed a guitar to do that <laughs> and I my dad got me a guitar one Christmas mm-hmm. he had a he, he was he actually originated the idea of the discount store mm. you know the, the the one that preceded um like uh, I guess Target really or or mm. Kmart or any of those, it was called Two Guys, huh. Two Guys from Harrison, huh. and he um, he and these two guys <laughs> started this uh, discount thing, and they would get uh, closeouts from other big, like, fancier stores, like mm. Macy's and Nordstrom's, or if there was such a place, mm. but, you know, places like that, and then they would, you know, bring them into this place called two guys and Hmm. um yeah so that was my dad's um but he got he got um well screwed out of the whole deal but uh he his his passion was inventing Uh you know he he was real he he was the the idea of that Mm -hmm. he he invented that idea you know that you could buy things cheaper from people who you know that was last season's swimsuit so he'd buy them all up and sell them at a discount you know Mm. so he thought that was and that was pretty inventive and clever for the time so um he invented things he invented the ribbon christmas tree Mm. (laughs) what (laughs) and he invented the key that you not the brand new key Uh but a key that went to the toothpaste tube you know, and you'd roll up. Oh yeah, um, I've seen those. Yeah, yeah. It would squeeze the very last drop of toothpaste. Yeah. So you didn't waste any toothpaste. He would come up with ideas like that all the time. Hmm. Anyway, yeah, that was my dad. <laughs> um, and my mom was a jazz singer, and I was a misfit. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, but were they encouraging of what you were doing? Singing, songwriting, playing guitar, playing ukulele, all um, things. Not really. Oh. <laughs> uh, my dad, my dad wanted me to, you know, be a socialite. Mm. I think he he was dreaming that I would 
you know, be a debutante somewhere. Mm. <laughs> no, I mean, that was not even a slight possibility. First of all, I didn't have any friends. Keep dreaming. <laughs> we didn't have friends in high places, right. for sure. And, um, but his, his dream, you know, that I was going to aspire, you know, and be the, you know, a, a socialite somehow. But, um, that didn't happen. I, and, uh, you know, no, a, a Singer wasn't something that he thought had promise. And <laughs> hmm. well, just he was right. I mean, it's a terrible life. <laughs> Why would anybody want their child to do this? I don't know. Right, right. I'm just—it's—it's it's horrible. In fact, um, most parents of that era would never have suggested that their child be a. a, a you know, aspire to be a star or a, a musician or an actor or a performer because it was, it was a hard life and everybody knew that. And, and so why would you want to push your kid to do that? It was my generation who thought, Hey, my kid looks a little like Mick Jagger, <laughs> you know, maybe, or my child sings like Janis Joplin. She's going to be the next big rock star. Right. And then they opened schools of rock, yeah. you know, so that kids could imitate their favorite singers. And right. so what? You know? Well, I'm sure the game, the game changer was always the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. I'm sure everybody in America was like, Hey, I can do that. <laughs> right, right. Everybody, that's true. And I, I was on the Ed Sullivan show twice. Wow. He really, yeah, he really had the soft spot for, for me and Peter. Um, mm -hmm. He was, he actually said, uh, not since, not since Elvis have I seen such dedicated fans because his um, stage manager, I had fans who came to the, the filming and the stage manager was, I, there was a thing that people did. They came up on my stage hmm. and I thought it was really cool. And, um, but the stage manager of the Ed Sullivan show did not think it was very cool. <laughs> and he was trying to get the people off the stage and Ed Sullivan came out <laughs> and said, no, no, they should be here. This is, this is really what she does, and yeah. <laughs> they're being very respectful, and these youths, you know, well, the youths are being very respectful, and <laughs> um, and so that's when he made the announcement on television that not since um, Elvis mm -hmm. had he seen such uh, adoring, whatever, fans or people who appreciated what the artist did, so mm -hmm. he let it happen. That's cool. So if you see my old rerun of me on the Ed Sullivan show, you'll see I'm surrounded by by people, you know, kids and mm -hmm. people who like me. That's cool that you supported you like that because sometimes I know, sometimes I know. you get the impression of Ed Sullivan as being a little clueless, you know, <laughs> you know, because yeah, no, he mispronounces exactly. names and stuff like. Now here's. Exactly. Um, 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 Mulaney, you know, or something, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, no, right. no, it's Melanie. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, no, I know. He was, but he was definitely an authentic person, you know, and he, yeah. he followed his gut, you know, which is uh, quite a thing for a person in the industry. Mm-hmm.
Now, um, you uh, originally signed on to Columbia Records. Didn't have great success there, but uh, how did that come about? And was that your first taste of like success, as it were? Uh, it wasn't success, but it was the first taste of um, you know doing this. Uh, in a different format, you know, recording was a whole different thing. Mm -hmm. I had met Peter, my, again, my husband and producer, uh, who produced all my records, mm -hmm. um, from the very, very beginning. And he saw something that nobody else really got to see. I mean, they just, most people said, I sounded like I was singing underwater, or, uh, you know, or something. And, um, they mostly made fun of my voice, but um, my husband totally believed. But when I signed with Columbia, it was which is now Sony, right. but um, they it was uh, is it John Hartford who was the head of A and R. And he has a, he had a son, John Hartford Jr., I guess, and, um, who went on to become a singer. And I could have the name wrong, so, um, maybe we could look it up. That sounds right. <laughs> but I, I think it was John Hartford Sr., who was the head of A&R, and he's the one who signed me to mm. Columbia. Now, right after I was signed, there was a regime change, mm. a major, major change in the music industry mm. and they started getting lawyers to head the um, music labels mm. and at that very moment it was Clive Davis mm -hmm. became the uh, head of the president of CBS and I didn't know anything about this you know I didn't know <laughs> about the politics of the music business and and it turns out that he had a meeting because we had one song that was released, but because of this regime change, it wasn't serviced to the radio stations and the record stores. Hmm. So somehow some of the underground stations got a hold of a copy of the song called um, beautiful people, mm -hmm. a song that I wrote called Beautiful People. And, um, this was before I did Woodstock, you know, this right. was real early on. And, uh, Clive Davis is now the in power control person of CBS. And, um, he wanted to, well, he or Peter arranged a meeting. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I was there by myself, <laughs> and maybe maybe um, Peter was asked not to be there. I'm not sure why, mm. but there I was in the office of Clive Davis, the president of Columbia Records, and I'm thinking because this record, even though it wasn't sent to record stores and it wasn't being promoted at all mm -hmm. it was um it, in fact another song by kenny i think kenny rydell or something kenny odell uh, had a song called beautiful people um but that was more like the uh sarcastic um <laughs> beautiful people you know uh it went 
You've just got to be one of the most beautiful people in the whole wide world. It's true, it's true, it's true. And I love you. <laughs> that wasn't my song. Oh, okay. <laughs> my song was called Beautiful People, but it was truly an outpouring of a humanitarian connection mm -hmm. between all of us. And it was, but they made me change the title when they pressed the single to My Beautiful People. Right. So if anybody has the original, it's called My Beautiful People. And, um, but it, in actual fact, it was called Beautiful People. Mm. But the, um, so they released it, but they didn't service the radio stations and it wasn't in the record stores, but it became what they called a turntable hit. Mm. And there was, a, that was a term that a DJ could get a hold of a song and think it was great. And it was before, you know, Clear Channel. It was before all of the corporate takeover. Right. <laughs> um, the one world, you know, music business. And um, where they compartmentalized music. Because at, at one point, you know, you hear the radio had everything from Patti Page to Elvis, you know, on, and... Bill Haley and the Comets, you know, it mm. would all be radio. And it was what it was called popular music. Right. And um, they didn't have it compartmentalized. It wasn't polarized mm -hmm. yet. Mm -hmm. It was music is music. You know, there'd be Count Basie and Frank Sinatra and Elvis and Brenda Lee and just music and so everybody would hear all kinds of music and it's true that when certain songs came on you know I wasn't interested but then when others came on I was mm -hmm. and that would that was kind of the way it was with radio uh, up until a certain point and it kind of coincided when uh, the lawyers took over mm. the industry and then it wasn't a DJ just getting a hold of a record and saying, I think the first person who ever played Beautiful People was a DJ uh, in New York, WNEW, Roscoe. Mm. And he was the, the coolest, you know, he was the coolest of the cool. And he found Beautiful People and he started playing it. And, and in fact, I think he said, this is a song by Milani. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's called Beautiful People and he played it over and over and on a regular rotation mm -hmm. so that's and, and it was actually a surprise when I heard it I was in a Fred Layton shoe store in Greenwich Village mm -hmm. and I'm in the store and I'm putting on a shoe and I hear my voice yeah. <laughs> coming out of the radio and I, I started to cry and Peter was there and he's, oh my God, they're playing your record because we didn't know mm -hmm. because this wasn't orchestrated by the record company. Mm -hmm. This was just some renegade DJ playing my record on wow. a major radio station. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it went from there viral, of yeah. course, before the term viral. Right. It went everywhere. <laughs> it went everywhere all over the country and all the college radios and underground radio was um we're playing now there's you know complete control there's no such thing as the turntable hit <laughs> no. right <laughs> uh and it's you know it's very very but there 
you know, yeah. still is a, a way to get music that isn't being promoted on the mainstream. So that's where I've been surviving in the past, yeah. uh, past years. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you don't want to play the, the game, <clears throat> there still is a way, yeah. although it's de very difficult. And of course, the, with the streaming and things, artists don't get what they should be getting right. as far as yeah. compensation. Mm -hmm. So I started a Patreon site. Mm. And, um, I mean, at first it was abhorrent to me, you know, to think I was, oh, I'm asking people for money. It's like, <laughs> panhandling or something. Right, right. But it, it is the, the way, it's the name of the game. Yeah. I mean, the, certainly you're not gonna, I'm not gonna get compensation from the, uh, record labels and that I should be. Right. Uh, until I, you know, get Paul McCartney's lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right now, but, uh, you know, you have to speak legalese, and it costs a lot of money <laughs> mm. to pay for legalese. So, um, so, so far, I have Patreon, and I have, very lucky, I have um, people who have been with me for, a long, long time, or people who just joined me, they said, oh my God, I never heard you before. And I just heard, you know, some song from 1970 or something. <laughs> and they're new fans, you know. Mm -hmm. I call them born-again hippies. Yeah. So. <laughs> you mentioned Peter. Um, how do you pronounce his last name? Shekirk? Is that Shakarik. Shakarik. Okay, sorry. Yeah, um, I know there's way too many consonants. Yes, um, and, and it doesn't look like they could possibly be pronounced. But <laughs> um, it is three syllables. So Shakarik. He was with you for virtually your entire career. I mean, it's like, so where did you first meet him? Well, I was um, going to an acting audition, mm -hmm. and again, I was so shy. And this one audition was, um, it, it was written in one of those trade magazines, and I would get the trade magazine, read it from cover to cover, but, uh, you know, just bow out, you know, somehow I'd, I'd say, oh, no, I couldn't do that, or I couldn't do that. So I, I, there was one audition, they were looking for a girl who played the guitar and sang. Now, again, this was not a usual thing, mm -hmm. you know, that girls played guitars. Now everybody plays a guitar or a ukulele. It's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's not a big deal. But then it was, the guitar was pretty much a guy's instrument, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, here they were wanting a girl who played the guitar and sang uh, for to play the part of Barbara Allen in a, a play called Dark of the Moon. Mm. And it was a very esoteric play. And for some reason, when I was in school, I knew this play. And um, I, I felt like it was, you know, a divine providence that, mm. that was directing me to. So I went to the audition, but um, they gave the building, it was 16... 50 Broad, no, 1619 Broadway, the real building, mm. wherever that is, the beautiful yeah. deco front 
with brass carving and everything. And um, I went there and realized I didn't have the office number. I just had that it was it was that address. And there was a doorman outside, and I, I they, it was before I think anybody knew what Tourette's syndrome ha- it was. <laughs> but he he would say good morning, Mr. Murphy, and then he would go. And I'm watching him because I wanted to go up and ask him if he knew where they were auditioning for uh, Dark of the Moon, but I was a little afraid. Um, And finally, he looked at me, and I walked over to him, and I said, do you know where they're auditioning for Dark of the Moon? I'm going to be late. If I don't get there quick, I'm going to miss the audition. He looked at me. It was like one of those twilight zone moments mm. and he said he looked right at my eyes and it got all quiet mm. he said go to 519 they're always doing weird things there <laughs> so, so just on based on that you know i go trip chopping through the hallway up to an elevator 519 i get out or maybe it was 5'11", but it, anyway, um, went to the office, walked in and said, are you watching for Dark of the Moon? And this frightened looking secretary <laughs> says, no, no, uh, this is a music publishing office. And I, I broke down and cried. Mm-hmm. I absolutely, I just broke down and cried. And I said, I'm going to miss the audition. I know this is, I'm supposed to be here. I'm supposed to do this. This is really for me. I know I'm supposed to. And she said, well, just calm down, calm down. (laughs) And she checked her building directory, and she found the uh, Association of Actors and Directors of New York or something. And I think this must be the place. And I thanked her profusely and went on my way to audition for Dark of the Moon. Now, I read with a bunch of different people, and I knew I had gotten the part. Mm. Absolutely, without a doubt, I got the part. And so afterward, I I came down and um, I said, I think I got the part. I think I got the part. And um, I was so... Excited, you know, I was probably crying. I don't know. But I mean, I was very emotional. And two guys walked in and they said, Joyce, what does she want? (laughs) (laughs) And she said, Oh, no, she's a. I said, I'm an actress. And they said, Oh, that's nice. You have a guitar. What do you do with that? I said, Oh, well, I, you know, I sing and I write. I play guitar and I sing songs and. They said, okay, put her in for Thursday. (laughs) (laughs) They, they gave me a, you know, an audition. I'm I'm thinking, what do I want to audition for a publishing company for? I didn't even know what a publishing company was. I thought at that moment that it was people who print sheet music because Mm. my mom would have hundreds of sheet music sheets, you know, and on the front it would say published by, and it would have a name. And I thought these guys were somebody who printed sheet music. Mm. So it wasn't like I thought this is a big deal or anything. You know, I, I said, okay, well, I'll be back on Thursday. And I, I came back and 
Um, I auditioned for them. Well, the outer office was, you know, institution green, and there were those metal filing cabinets, you know, nothing, nothing uh, pretty and with fluorescent lighting. But when you went into their inner office, Mm-hmm. It was like two-inch plush carpets and <laughs> Louis the Fourteenth matching desks facing each other and chandeliers and all this um, what I would call gaudy but expensive stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there I was, and they put a chair. In be- the two desks were facing them, and they were able to look back and forth at each other, and I was facing the the two desks on the side. And they said, well, sing something you wrote. And so I I started to sing songs, you know, that I had just written and nobody had ever heard before except my mother. And, uh, you know, they were looking back and forth at each other and, you know, kind of rolling their eyes a little bit. And I I was sure they didn't like me, you know, but <laughs> after I finished singing a few songs, then, well, we're working on a Broadway musical, and um, we're Hugo and Luigi, you know, and I, I, we produced Jimmy Rogers and Fats Domino and, mm. and a whole bunch of people, you know, and now I'm thinking, wow, and I had no idea. So um, they said, we just hired a producer to take over our production company because uh, we're too busy, you know, doing this Broadway musical. So why don't you come back on some other day next week and meet him? His name is Peter Shakarik. And I went, I went back, I met him. We went off to New Jersey. We got married. We had children and hit records. And that's the end of that. (laughs) (laughs) That's a true love at first sight. Yes. (laughs) from there uh, but um, yeah. I will just say well, a similar movie, story it? <laughs> it is really a movie yeah I, I will say there's a similar story you know, I recently interviewed thanks to Charles Valerie Karras Vinay who's an actress and her husband uh, was a big record producer too and she was with him for a number of years and so and it was kind of a love at first sight thing too so I guess it happens <laughs> yeah it happens mm-hmm. it, it was it was not even it wasn't even so much love but there was he got what I did right you know right. Mm-hmm. it was like the I mean, he put his head down and he he said you wrote that I, mm-hmm. I said yeah he said oh wow mm-hmm. well do something else that you wrote. And I, you know, started singing other songs. And and he got up from the, me singing in the middle of my song. Now, I didn't know what this was about. And he ran down the hall to Hugo and Luigi's office. And I heard him say, did you sign her? <laughs> Have you signed her? And they, they said, no, she sounds like a duck, you know, <laughs> singing underwater. And he said, no, no, sign her, sign wow. her. This is, and, and so obviously he was really floored and again there was, it was a, more of a, a connection, you know, uh, a deep spiritual connection between mm-hmm. Peter and I and, yeah, and then the love 
love part, you know, what it, mm-hmm. what the people do. So, <laughs> and then we, um, we got, we, again, we had, we got married. I had hits. We had mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. We stayed together for my whole life until he passed away 10 years ago. Right. Right. So we're, you know, we're, he, he produced everything. And wow. now, um, Bo Jared, my son is, uh, you know, producing my records and okay. uh, we're more like a, a you know a group of artists. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I, I am his mother, and I will tell him to clean his room. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, mom, I want to produce your record. Anyway. So I'm a little fuzzy on the sequencing of time, so I just want to know, so obviously you eventually left Columbia and went to Buddha Records, uh, you also did Woodstock, um, which came first? Um, I went to, um, yeah, Clive Davis didn't realize that we had this, Peter always had an escape clause, oh. he was really good at that, so um, I guess Clive Davis just thought, you know, he, I mean, what he did when I was in his office was, he said, uh, so you want to, you want to, uh, record an album? And I said, well, yeah, I've got all these songs, you know, <laughs> lots and lots of songs I've been writing, you know, for years and years. And, um, I had my guitar and I was thinking I was going to play him some songs. You know, I thought he was coming from a musical place. Little did I know that, you know, he was not. And, um, He's, he's sort of stopped me in my enthusiastic tracks and said, we've just signed Michelle Lee. Mm. And Michelle Lee has just gotten the Colgate commercial. And I'm looking at him like he's speaking another language. <laughs> I didn't know what that meant. You know, I'm yeah. trying to think. Toothpaste. Uh, Michelle Lee, okay, what does this have to do with me? I didn't quite get, you know, but he was comparing that she was going to be a big deal, Mm -hmm. and who basically did I think I was coming into his office thinking I was going to make an album? You think you're going to make an album? (laughs) You know, and I, well, I, you know, I have a lot lot of songs, and now I'm starting to like, you know, mumble <laughs> and uh, and then I started to cry <laughs> and I'm not the first girl that Clive Davis made cry. <laughs> I think um, I think uh, most recently I'm not sure about Janis Joplin and Whitney Houston, but um, I, I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, but Kelly Clarkson said he made I mean, he made her cry, and I said, "Good for you," because <laughs> I never I never told my story, but um, <clears throat> she did. And uh, yeah, the, he's a terrible person to have around artists. <laughs> right? It's funny, you know. It's a funny thing, but um, how old Clive Davis, the star maker, you know? But but I, I don't know. I mean, I think you have to sell your soul to the devil first. Probably. <laughs> so, um, again, did, so you went to Buddha Records first, and then... Uh... Uh, the first, yeah, it was Columbia, mm-hmm. and then immediately we were out of that contract with Columbia, and 
Peter was meeting with Neil Bogart. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, he said, don't worry, don't worry, because I was, you know, I left the meeting and I met Peter and I was really upset. He said, he said no way was I going to record an album because they just signed Michelle Lee who did the toothpaste commercial. <laughs> I, I don't know, but I don't think he's interested in me. He did not get it. Not at all. Mm-hmm. He did not get my music. He did not get my appearance. Mm. Um, and also there was a, a big push for um, heavy, hard rock. Right. You know, at that point, it was, you know, Steppenwolf. And, yeah. and I wasn't, there, you know, I wasn't in that group. So, um, I certainly wasn't, you know, r- rough around the edges, mm-hmm. uh, person. So it wasn't, that wasn't, he did not get it. He did not get me at all. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, Peter had been meeting with Neil Bogart. I guess he sort of sensed that, uh, we were getting a cold response. So, um, from the new regime. So here we were, uh, with Neil Bogart. Neil, we, we hit it off really good. Mm -hmm. Me and Neil Bogart. Um, but Neil Bogart had a lot of people in the company that I didn't hit it off so good with. Um, you know, that's the way Mm -hmm. businesses are, you know, you'll, you'll gel with some and not with others. And, um, so we had our, you know, dealings and we recorded some successful albums. I had Candles in the Rain. Right. And, uh, and look what they've done to my song, Ma. Although it was on, I, I'm not sure which album. It might have been on the Lay Down Candles in the Rain album, but, uh, be, once you release an album and a song is on it, any, anybody can record it as right. long as they, you know, go for the right mechanical licenses and everything. Um, so the new seekers had a, a, a hit with, uh, look what they've done to my right. song. A lot of people never even realized I wrote it yeah. because it wasn't recorded by me as a hit. I, I just, I had it out on an album, but mm-hmm. uh, the new seekers did it, had a hit. Ray Charles did it. Uh, Barbara mm-hmm. Streisand. I mean, a, a lot of international people did it. Um, I think, uh, what's her name? Nina, anonymous Scurry. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sung my songs and, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of international people. Uh, oh, what was his name? Um, Gilbert Becco, mm. who was like considered the, the Frank Sinatra of Europe. <laughs> you know, at that point, he sang my songs, and he, he, in fact, brought me to France to introduce me to the French public, and um, that's what I, I, my career really boomed in, um, in Europe, mm-hmm. and in France, they thought I was British, and in mm. Britain, they thought I was French, yeah. <laughs> anyway, and then I, then I did Woodstock, okay. after, after a little you know, kind of career buzz. I was like a little buzz in the industry. You know, people, there's always the period of time when people hear the name before they hear the music. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that was kind of me. Now, of course, 
you hear the name and you hear the name and then you hear the name again right. and then you keep hearing the name and then you can't remember what the music is you know? <laughs> it's there but you kind of don't know what that is but mm-hmm. um, it's all about you know marketing and right. capturing that sort of thing mm-hmm. but Again, so, somehow I'm surviving, and again, it could be, you know, just even something as simple as Patreon, you know, because people like me, I mean, I'm 76 years old, and again, I say, the people who are going to meet me at this autograph convention, they may say, um, gee, I'm really glad she didn't get marry me, you know. But uh, here I am, still doing it, and um, you know, I I don't sing the same, I don't look the same, uh, but I am the same, and I still write, I still sing, and I'm not worried about it. You know, this is the way it's going to go, and everybody's going to get there if they're lucky. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you'll have a good time with Chiller. I have never been there. I've heard about it. Uh, I've been to the similar uh, Hollywood autograph show down in Hollywood, obviously, and they get a few music celebrities. A few years ago, they had Mickey Dolenz, and it was one of Davy Jones's final appearances, and things like that. Yeah, (laughs) and I did meet him there, you know, a couple weeks before he passed away. No one would have known, you know, he seemed all vibrant and healthy and everything, and it's like, whoa, you know. Wow. Yeah, so I'm glad I got to see him one last time. So that's the thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Excuse yeah. me. Um, let's see. Uh, but it, let's kind of shift it over to <laughs> Woodstock, I guess. Um, were you scheduled to be a performer, or was that like a last-minute replacement thing? I mean, it, it kind of, you know, it says that what I've read is that you, uh, it was supposed to be the Invisible String, or Incredible String Band, excuse me, and they didn't want to play because of the rain, so you went out. Were you always on the bill scheduled to run, or how? how? Yeah, no, I was, I was supposed to definitely perform, okay. but um, that's true. The um, Incredible String Band didn't want to perform because it had started to rain and they were afraid of electrocution. Right. <laughs> I, was, I was too stupid to know about this stuff. Well, yeah, and an acoustic guitar, I, I think, right? I, yeah. yeah so. Well, you're, you're around electricity, you yeah, know. Yeah, true, and true. Plugs and <laughs> microphones and uh, amplification. And uh, Bill Hamley had done the sound. And I, I got to meet him later. Um, he, he, he's like the father of festival sound. He did the sound for Woodstock. But anyway, yeah, it was, um, you know, anybody with any sense would have said no. <laughs> but, uh, I, I was there by myself. Yeah. I didn't have a road manager. Peter wasn't there. Wow. No musicians. No backup. I was in a little tent with, um, I didn't even have a backstage pass. Wow. How and did, how I wasn't did you, that upper, how did you get in in the first place? Did you drive or fly in or how did they do it? How did well, you do it? We, um, you know, I was in Europe mm-hmm. and I was really debating with my husband whether I should do this, you know, this little thing in Woodstock. I don't know. You know, I we didn't hear anything. It was before everybody knew everything instantly. Right. Um, I just knew that I was supposed to go, but 
you know, I was working on a, a film score in um, <laughs> England. I was next door to the, the Rolling Stones were next door. And uh. I was working with a big film arranger, John Campbell. And uh, this was, you know, it was felt very serious and important what I was doing. And I, I thought maybe I should just, you know, not go. And we talked back and forth. And last minute I said, oh, I'll go. My mother will drive me. <laughs> so, so Peter stayed in England. Huh. And, uh, you know, my mom, you know, got me from the airport. And uh, that's, you know, we drove up. We couldn't get past a certain point. And right. I found out that I should go to this motel, and uh, when I didn't, still didn't quite get what was happening. I kind of thought, oh, there must be like an accident ahead or something, you know, that <laughs> there's a lot of traffic, and um, uh, no clue, no yeah. clue wow. what was happening. <laughs> and we stopped at this uh, hotel in Bethel, motel, you know, where, and outside of the motel, there's all this, you know, these news trucks and lots and lots of cars, and we couldn't even get near the entrance, and I ran in, and I looked around, and there's Janis Joplin, and I've never met a famous person yet. <laughs> in my whole life, I hadn't met any anybody who was famous except, um, I guess Rod Stewart, but he wasn't even Rod Stewart yet. <laughs> he was in a, in a group called The Faces. Right, right. <laughs> and I only met him in England. Had no idea, you know, that um, I never met anybody. You know, so here I was uh, looking around. I'm thinking, I've got to get out of here. I'm definitely in over my head. You know, <laughs> definitely. I, I mean, I had sung for maybe a couple of hundred people in my whole life. I had no clue what I was about <laughs> to encounter. And then all of a sudden somebody says, Melanie, Melanie, over here. And he said, we're going to go to the helicopter. And I'm going to the helicopter. My mother's with me. We're running. We're going to the helicopter. And... Uh, he turns right at the entrance of the helicopter. He says, who is she? I said, oh, it's my my mom. You know, I didn't even have the sense to say, oh, uh, this is my roadie, you know, or, <laughs> or, or my bass player, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, I have no idea. I just said, it's my mom. And he says, oh, your mom. Oh, that's nice, mom. Bye, mom. No mom's on the plane. Sorry. Oh, wow. <laughs> this is only for... Uh, performers and musicians and managers. Aww. And, and I said, bye, Mom. <laughs> wow. And, and I was in the helicopter, and I I landed, and they directed me to a little tent with a dirt floor. Mm -hmm. and, and, again, no backstage pass, nothing. I was in the, um, I guess it was the lesser-known people, area you know uh, Tim Harden was in the tent across from me and all the big deal people were in the big tent that I kind of loomed over us on the 
left. Mm. I never went into that tent, never thought about it, never thought about echelon or what group I was in or what tier I was in. <laughs> I just knew that I had to get out of there. Wow. <laughs> and I didn't know how I was going to do this. But um, at one point in the middle of the day, I thought, I'm just going to get out. I'll just get up and wander out with my guitar. And, you know, I didn't have, like, anything. I just had me and my pocketbook and my guitar. <laughs> and um, I'm about to do Woodstock, you know, a piece of paper yeah. so that I could write maybe a set list or something and glue it, you know, scotch tape it to my guitar. And, uh, but I, I never even got that far. I, I, I wandered out and I got a little too close to the, where the public was and the performers. And one, a guy like a Hells Angels type said, what are you doing here? <laughs> and instead of saying, Oh, I don't know. I got in by mistake. I said, I'm Melanie. I'm supposed to be here. I'm performing. And he, he picked me up and he brought me back to where the tents were. And he said, you better stay there. You don't have a backstage pass. Oh. <laughs> um, and this is, that's where I stayed for the rest of the day. And I developed this deep bronchial cough. Oh. And Joan Baez heard me from the big tent, I guess, where she might have been passing by. And she heard me suffering <laughs> in this little tent, and she sent over an assistant or something, and she said, hello, I'm uh, Joan heard you coughing and thought you might like this. And she had sent over a pot of tea oh. with honey. Oh. So that was my, that was my cuddly, Woodstock moment, and I never ever forgot it. And, uh, I mean, uh, this she she was always my idol. Yeah. You know, she had always been my idol, and to think that she would hear me and bring me tea was wow. absolute magic. Wow. And um, <laughs> I waited and waited. Every once in a while, somebody would come over and say, "You're on next," and I. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. I mean, there's thousands and thousands, half a million people out there. And I've never been on a stage, you know, that, that was even a tenth of the size of that thing. Mm -hmm. And it was like a, a football field, you know, and, and there were everybody who had been on were famous people that right. everybody heard of and had seen on TV or, movies or something and here i am absolutely invisible no one had heard of me the old maybe a percent of the audience heard beautiful people uh -huh. that was the only song in the states that anyone had ever heard because of roscoe right <laughs> so um i sang i just when i got finally got up uh it was right before Ravi Shankar, right after mm -hmm. Ravi Shankar. And I, I, I just wanted to disappear. I, I couldn't believe that this was, I actually, and I did, I would say this and most of the time it wouldn't get repeated, but I actually had an out of body experience mm. going 
to that stage, walking what felt like the plank, mm. you know, to my certain doom. Yeah. I left my body, yeah. and it was all quiet, and I got on the stage, and I didn't return until I started to sing, and it was, it, that was an epiphany right there. Yeah. And I wasn't even doing drugs, you know, I was a purist. I was, I was all by myself, you know, the last thing I was going to do was try to find drugs <laughs> in the fields. But, um, I just, you know, I was, I started to sing and as soon as I started to sing, I was back in myself and I was no longer watching. I was doing it. Mm. And, the, whether the people who were in front of me listening knew it or not, they watched a, a phenomenon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they actually got to see a person leaving their body and coming back. <laughs> and, um, and that is the truth. And that's what happened. And, uh, I could tell I was totally resonating with the people out there and they were flowing me this energy and power and <laughs> exuberance and I was okay you know mm -hmm. <laughs> I was never never afraid to perform in front of big crowds of people in fact the bigger the crowd the better right because there is this sort of um, when there are thousands and thousands of people there's this kind of group agreement like we're all doing the right thing you right. know yeah. When there's only a, a couple of people, everybody wonders if this is going to be any good. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I love performing for yeah. big crowds. Oh, yeah, you did but, a yeah, number of famous festivals right after that, like Isle of Wight and a bunch of different I, things. <laughs> I, I know. Gastonbury. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I became a festival queen. Yes. You know? <laughs> In fact, um, there was a there was a, a, a concert. They had outlawed festivals in New Jersey. Mm. In the state of New Jersey, the governor said there are no festivals allowed in the state. Mm -hmm. So they outlawed festivals. And I was scheduled to perform at an art center. At that point, it was called the Garden State Art Center. Mm -hmm. I think it's now called some named after a bank or something. But um it was called the Garden State Arts Center, and I was supposed to appear, and the last minute they canceled me because they said I constituted a festival. <laughs> Isn't that unbelievable? <laughs> I, and I, 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 had, I lived down the street. We had moved to a place called Lincroft, New Jersey, right down the street from this Garden State Arts Festival, mm. and they wouldn't let me perform. Wow. <laughs> they canceled me at the last minute because I constituted a festival. <laughs> Melanie is a festival. <laughs> so you've been canceled. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I, oh for sure. Yeah. There's some algorithms that have been uh, tricked off, tripped off. I don't know. But, you know, I, I, I feel like I, I was very fortunate to have gotten away with obscurity. Mm-hmm. 
Now, the next few years, uh, you actually were, like, at the peak. I mean, you had all the big hits. I mean, we can rattle them off. Brand New Key, The Nickel Song, and everything else like that. Yeah. Uh, version of Ruby Tuesday and stuff like that. Uh, you were the artist of the yeah. year for Billboard. But then, like, in 73, you just kind of stopped. Was it just to raise a family, or were you just fed up with it as well? Well, no, I don't think I was... St- I, st- I didn't stop. Oh, okay. I you thought I, I had read that I, you'd stop for a couple of years just to kind of readjust, no, as it were. I never okay. did that. Oh, okay. I, well, I, I kind of wish I did. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I might as well have, but I was kind of, um, after 75 or 76, it was like, um, I, I, I was stopped. No. Oh. Uh, it was like a wall came down, and um, I mean, the final blow was I, I recorded an album on Atlantic Records, and here's where the Twilight Zone music starts over my. You can play that while we're talking here. <laughs> and um, and I came out with the, the best recording I had ever ever made. Mm-hmm. And it was called Photographs, mm-hmm. and it was on Atlantic Records, and it, the New York Times, uh, John Rockwell, has said if there's one album you get this year, it should be this album, Photographs, and it was scheduled, we were going to do a, a coast-to-coast tour, and I had um, the Brecker Brothers and... Uh, um, Amazing musicians were scheduled. Huey McCracken, who was an, a brilliant studio guitarist, and Sal Detroya, they were all going to be on the road with me. Chris Parker on drums. Um, we, and it was like an all star tour. And at the last minute, Atlantic pulled the album. Hmm, I didn't know that. <laughs> pulled it. It was gone. You couldn't buy it. They pulled tour support. That was the end of that. And I, you know, I, I only can surmise and think things and find out things. And, you know, there, there are agendas and music is powerful stuff. And, they don't want certain things out there when they're promoting something else. Mm. So here I was, um, peace, love, and humanity, and that was not exactly the, the agenda at yeah. the time. So, um, yeah, so it was, uh, they were pushing hard drugs. I mean, that really was. It was like, um, it went from, you know, peaceful, well, not that I partook in any of it anyway, but it went from marijuana to cocaine. Right. You know? right. And cocaine is not a very musical drug, you know. <laughs> There's nothing, nothing musically flowing and creative about cocaine. Mm. Uh, you know, you can jump up and down and tear your hair out and smash guitars, but you, you know, you, it's not a, Conducive to the, the creative process. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but that was became the drug of choice, and all of a sudden it was 
Studio 54. And um, again, I signed with Clive Davis. Uh, he had just taken over. Now, this was not my idea. But my husband was a very trusting person, and he never saw bad or evil in anything or anyone. Mm-hmm. And he said, Clive Davis wants to sign me. Little did we know, you know, he he wanted to sign me so that he could bury me. Wow. Um, but, but again, that... Again, I I would say I got away with obscurity, which <laughs> no. is just fine, you know. So I have two hundred thousand people instead of two hundred million, you know. <laughs> so it's it's just fine because I just want to connect with people who who get what I do, right. and I speak to them, and they speak to me. That's it. Now, backing up a bit, you know, when you had some of your biggest hits, it was on your own label, Neighborhood. Now, yes. you know, how did that fail after a while, or what, what happened? No, Why, what it, happened was, again, I didn't realize, it, it was naivete, oh. you know. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize that uh, I was a slap in the face of the music industry, powers that be. Uh, they didn't want some independent artist starting a major record label. I was the first, um, well, I was the first female artist ever to start a, a record label, but I was the first independent artist to open a label um, in America. I mean, the Beatles had done it in England right. first, but um, I was, you know, I, I certainly wasn't. In that echelon of the Beatles, but I, I didn't know. You know, we had a, a whole floor at the Gulf and Western Building, and uh, it was, it was. I started decorating the office and um, <laughs> Schumacher wallpaper, and I had a little stove and a refrigerator in in, in our office and. Uh, I made it all homey and anything but corporate, you know, but um, but little did I know that it was a slap in the face of the status quo of the music industry. And then I, I had created some powerful enemies. Wow. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. Uh, it's just what it is. I mean, and again, I'm lucky to have gotten this far. Do you think it's because you're female or because you had a different sound or both or what? I think there was an agenda and they didn't want what I was doing, Hmm. which was really eclectic and uh, not following any kind of formula. In fact, um, the, uh, it was this, uh, we, we were, Neighborhood Records, and we were under RCA's umbrella, and RCA was uh, being promoted by the Gulf and Western tire business. Hmm. I mean, I, all of this I didn't know. I just knew <laughs> we had a floor um, in New York, and I could do what I wanted and record anything I wanted, anyone I wanted, and we were signing people, and it yeah. was... You know, we were having a great old time doing that. But, um, again, there was this undercurrent of 
we were going against what was acceptable in the music industry, That's not weird. the music. That's weird That's because you're good. having big chart success. They should have left you I know. alone. You know? I know. It was amazing. <laughs> wow. The biggest, the biggest hit I had ever had was, um, well, Candles in the Rain was quite a big hit internationally. But, and even Beautiful People, although, you know, not in sales, but in how, how many people it reached. Right. But uh, Brand New Key was across the board. Right. Um, That's the mega hit number one. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Huh. Yeah, so they um, well, they basically stole uh, my rights, and uh, I, you know, I again, we were not prepared for the amount of backlash that we were getting. Wow. So, do you, if you're saying that, do you still get residuals for these records like that, or are you out of no. the, Oh, that sucks. <laughs> Sorry. That's really, oh. definitely. Wow. Uh, again, I need Paul McCartney's lawyer. Right. But um, I'm not giving up because yeah. I never sold my copyright. Yeah. Never. So when never, some, never, never. here's something I was going to ask. You know, I'm sure you've. I, I'm trying to avoid asking too much about brand new key because I'm sure you've been asked a zillion things. So you know, that's if, okay. and that's I love it. and that's me. I love that song. <laughs> but this is what I do want to ask you. So um, there's a comedian uh, named Bob Rivers who does parodies of songs, and uh -huh. in 1994 he did a parody of it called "You've Got a Brand New." pair of figure skates, I'm going to break your knees. And it was about the whole Tanya <laughs> Harding thing. Now... I've never heard that. Oh, never. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, but uh, do you, so you don't see any royalties when somebody does a parody of a song like that then? Or no? no oh, no, that, that's terrible. No, not even when I do it. Oh. Which is me performing. Wow. And writing and me arranging and uh, and Peter producing, but it'll change because... I was going to say, no wonder you're on Patreon. I, I don't blame you. <laughs> you know, it's like, I was just thinking, oh, you know, she's still getting royalties from these things. Wow. You know, the Patreon is just for current wow. recordings. Wow. Okay. So, it's, <laughs> uh, interesting. But I, I still write. I still, you know, um, for me, I, I've written some of the best songs I've ever written in the last three years. Mm -hmm. So... I'm a, you know, it, it's, um, you get to a point where you, what, what really is important mm -hmm. is how you connect with people and what you do for them, you mm -hmm. know, what your music has done to, um, elevate a condition they may be in. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've heard so many stories over the years of, you know, how a song changed their life. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the important thing. And yeah, it's it sucks that you know the industry is as corrupt as it is, and uh, you know things have happened where I'm not compensated, and mm. and it it goes on and on. And also, but it, there are a lot of artists in a in a very bad situation because of the streaming thing. You know, right, they, right. They used to get checks with you know lots of zeros at the end. <laughs> and now they now they don't so uh 
you know, it's just the the industry has to change. Yeah. And I figured it really is a, a basic human rights violation right. to um, to take away from the people who create mm-hmm. such a precious thing as the music that people love. And um, I'm not taking anything away from. Well, maybe I am, but uh, <laughs> the, the, what you know is being created now. It a lot of it is coming from a place of um, exhibitionism. Yeah, you know, not coming from a. I'm. I wrote this song, and I want people to hear it. You know, it's more of a. You know, a, a manufactured yeah. Uh, situation. Yeah, and you know. People, yeah, kids are going to be made to love it because yeah. they're going to hear it 400 times before it even gets on the radio. Yeah. You know? But it, so, it, uh, it is interesting. I mean, like, I, I work at various jobs. Uh, this is not my primary vocation. <laughs> I work at various jobs working out health healthcare uh-huh. and stuff like that. And, you know, we have people of all different ages, so sometimes... Uh, we have. I've been at jobs where uh, people are like in their twenties and thirties now, and they're listening uh-huh. to the songs of of the sixties and seventies now. And yeah. I go, well, uh, wait, why aren't you listening to Taylor Swift or Lizzo or whoever's that popular right, now? Right. And they go, oh, we don't like that stuff. We like the stuff that's like more genuine. Is really what the word they use, where people really? play their own instruments and and they right. sing and they don't use the auto tune and all that stuff. I know, you know, I and know. so you know, and they appreciate artists like you and stuff like that. So it's like, yeah. wow, this is the kids that are in their twenties and thirties that usually don't know anything before they were born, and it's like, oh, they right, they do right. appreciate this older stuff. So you know. It's, yeah. it's incredible how many uh, young people come to my concerts, and uh, again, they may have just tuned into the last album I recorded, and then found out that oh, and she's the same person who wrote "Look What They've Done to My Song," yeah. and then they find out more stuff about me. And um, yeah, I mean that that is always uh, a fun perk, you know, yeah. when uh, people are just discovering you as if you just came out you know right (laughs) it's really really a great thing and um i think it is because people know you know if we haven't they haven't tamed that out of us yet Mm -hmm. but um you know with the emergence of ai they're certainly trying right you know i mean they're actually signing ai artists Mm mm-hmm they're totally not people yeah. creating this music. And, I mean, yeah, it can sound like uh, a song, maybe, but it's not really coming from the heart. And, you know, there's there are people who believe that we are spiritual beings, and I'm one of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that is very apparent in music that communicates to that part of us, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying we have to be talking about God, you know. Right. We we just, it, but but it's but you know that God voice is in there somewhere. Right. Whether you're talking about your latest boyfriend or your, you know, where you, where you 
you went to a party. I mean, it just, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. It's got the humanity in it. Mm -hmm. And there are people who will deny that that even exists. Hmm. You know, we have the WEF and they're blatantly denying that that even exists. Mm -hmm. And, but hopefully enough of us will awaken before uh, something terrible happens. <laughs> so, um, presently, other than, and we'll promote it again, the chiller, <laughs> um, are you going out on tour again? Because I know you probably stopped during the pandemic and everything, right? Yeah, you know, that was the worst. I know everybody suffered during that period of time, but uh, some people navigated it a little better. With me, I had just come home from a major tour mm -hmm. and I was ready to collapse for two weeks, you know, and <laughs> start again. I was supposed to go on a West Coast tour. It was um, a vinyl, uh, it was vinyl record week or day or something. Mm -hmm. I was going to do a whole tour of vinyl record stores yeah. and because we were going to release the 50th anniversary of Brand New Key mm -hmm. and it just completely got shut down and mm. I had to cancel, uh, you know, I didn't, I mean, they canceled two concerts I was supposed to do from Seattle to, uh, down to, you know, Southern California. And, um, it was just all, all shut down. And so, you know, I, I had to sort of, first of all, I had my suitcase packed <laughs> I was ready to go. I was supposed to do the, what's that place in Seattle? It, it, the Red Door or something? Okay, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, anyway, and it was a really cool place. And uh -huh. in fact, I had sent my products there. My CDs were there, mm -hmm. all, all my T-shirts and everything. And it was, it was closed. <laughs> it closed up. At first... <laughs> They said, oh, Melanie, would it be okay? We're not allowed to have more than 200 people in the venue. And I said, well, that's okay. I'll be there. I booked my ticket. I sent my, you know, merchandise there and everything. And uh, I was going. And people were saying to me, oh, no, didn't you hear? Everything's going to be shut down. I said, oh, that's ridiculous. It can't be. It's not possible. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I just, you know, had serious doubts about the whole thing and um i kept my reservation to the last minute and then the place was not only could i not perform in front of 200 people there was going to be no people it was closed they yeah. closed the doors yeah. in fact i couldn't even get my stuff back because there was nobody there wow <laughs> yeah it was oh, wow. <laughs> um i think it was the red door in seattle yeah Huh. But, um, anyway, that was going to be the start, and I was going to do all these record stores, and just that momentum being gone yeah. was, and and uh, again, you know, I'm in my seventies. It's it was like ah, uh, was like the wind got knocked out of me, yeah. you know. And I again, my suitcase was still packed. I didn't pack, unpack my suitcase for half a year because I kept feeling like, this is ridiculous. We flattened the curve. What happened? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I have my 
my antibacterial hand stuff and I'm, we're washing our hands. Come on, we flattened the curve. Come on, come on. You know, <laughs> what, what's really going on here? So, um, you know, the, I, I was not able to perform and then, uh, it opened up a little bit and there were requirements, you know, and, uh, I didn't want to be a super spreader and all this. Right. To me, it, it all seems like a bad dream. Right. You know, that there are people who died. You know, yes. it's, yes. it was, it was horrible fear mongering that was going on to the point where I mean, I just had to regroup. And my son and I started doing online shows. Hmm. That's what we did uh, to just keep doing what we were doing. Of course, it wasn't the same. And I would line up my stuffed animals you know, <laughs> in front of me to look at, you know, because they don't really react like people. But, you know, that was what we did. We we just did online shows and we were navigating. We didn't know how to do any of this. Yeah. We did Facebook shows and we did online anywhere seat format. And um, I'm going to do some more yeah. because uh, a, a lot of the agents that I worked with um, went out of business. Mm. Wow. <laughs> or they... Or they got into the tribute band things, you know. Yeah. In fact, I got, I did get booked at one thing. Um, it was all tribute bands. It was up at a racetrack up in the, uh, somewhere upstate New York, somewhere. And um, I get there and I'm looking around and seeing the posters and it's and none of the original people. It's all tribute bands. Right, right. I'm the only Original. I'm the only original. So when I went on, I said, I just want you to know I'm very happy to have been chosen to be the best Melanie tribute band <laughs> uh, out there. And uh, want you to want to introduce you to my pretend son and my pretend uh, background vocalist. And uh, thank you very much. And I, I did. This. A lot of people didn't even didn't even wonder. They thought I really was a tribute. Oh wow, <laughs> M Melanie Mania! But, uh, <laughs> yeah, Melanie. incredible, incredible so simulation. I, I, I don't, I don't get that. I guess <laughs> you know, if you you can't see the original, it's one thing. But when the original is still performing, yeah, you know, yeah. Why would you want it anyway? So I, I'm not a tribute of myself and myself and I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm up, up there and doing it, but, um, it's really been a challenge to say the least. But again, we are, uh, doing online shows and yeah. I'm, um, you know, getting emails of people so that I can, uh, send them word that I'm going to be doing one of these uh, online shows and stuff. Mm -hmm. But between online shows and uh, the uh, uh, Patreon, and now I'm going to do a convention where, you know, I'll be right up there with Dr. Spock, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, I do whatever I can do, you know, mm -hmm. to survive and yeah. I I love the idea of meeting people. I yeah. mean after after the shows 
Yeah. It's always such a, a fun time to be able to. I know I was one of the first people who ever, and I don't say this bragging. I'm just saying is a it is what it is. That um, after a show, uh, I would just stay and meet the people who wanted to meet me. Oh, that's um, cool. <laughs> and it was, you know, the, the industry guys, you know, the, you have to leave the building. You know, it's very yeah. unprofessional to yeah. stay in the back and meet the people. I said, what, what am I going to do? Go back to my hotel room and yeah. <laughs> what, eat? <laughs> that's all I'm going to do after a two-hour-plus show. Well, I mean, what do I do with all this energy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and um, what do I do with all of this emotion? You know, I right. and that's no wonder you know performers got into heavy drugs and yeah. stuff. Because uh, what do you do? So I, I mean, my unwinding was to meet the people who thought they liked me. Mm-hmm. You know, and to see, I, you know, if it's not cool, I'm not worried. Yeah, you know. So, um, so now I'm going to be. Meeting people without the concert first. (laughs) I don't know how that's going to be, but it should be fine. They just, you know, there'll probably be people who connected with me in different ways and places and times in their life. And you never know. There was one guy, um, I did a show where the promoter of the, um, the hall said, Melanie, this guy booked the whole first two Rose, mm-hmm. and he has a really amazing story to tell you. So um, afterward, he came backstage, and he was the captain of a platoon in the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. and they were trapped behind enemy lines, and it just so happens that Candles in the Rain was playing, and there were two versions. There was the three-minute pop top 40 version, and there was the eight-minute version. And this, their station, their um, base was playing the eight-minute version, and they had the radio signal from that uh, broadcast Right, so they were able to follow. They were being shot at. They were they were going to be dead. They were definitely going to be dead. The whole platoon would have been blown up. And they followed the um, signal to safety. And every year they did like a reunion and played lay down (laughs) candles in the rain um, because that saved their life. And he he had named his first daughter, Melanie, and I met the daughter, and everybody was crying, and it was really an amazing, I mean, it wasn't the content of the music, it was the length (laughs) of the song that saved them, you know, but, I mean, these stories are, this is, this adds uh, a richness to my life, you know, that wouldn't be there, Mm -hmm. and if if I didn't get to meet these people, I'd never know. Right. You know, so it, to me, this is it's the reason for doing it. Right. 
Well, I would say bring a guitar to the chiller because, like I mentioned earlier, I saw Davy Jones. Somebody handed him a guitar, and he sang a few hits just out there, you know, near the Aww. end of the day. So, you know, when it wasn't as crowded, you know, and I was just sitting there listening, you know, and it's like, so he did an impromptu Aww. concert. So, and he sang yeah, Daydream yeah. Believer, and it's, you know, so, you know. <laughs> right, right. Wow. <laughs> So, so you, you may be called to sing Brand New Key and Candles in the Rain and everything else, so you never yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, you know? probably. Yeah, I always, um, even though, you know, you keep writing and um, I, I always want to do my new songs, but I never lose sight of the fact that, you know, people would be brutally disappointed if you didn't do that one song that they knew mm. of you and... It was important to them. Mm. I remember, I remember going to it. I think um, I'm not sure. I'm not even gonna name him. I do remember his name, <laughs> but um, he he ended up uh, his biggest hit. He ended up doing this jazz version. Yeah. It was unrecognizable mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, I guess he just was so finished with doing mm. the hit, you know, that he just decided to do this jazz version of it and nobody recognized it and oh. everybody was disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought, you know, that's, you don't do that. You know, yeah. you just don't do that. You, um, so I, I probably won't do a jazz version of Brand New Key. <laughs> <laughs> um, All right, I will ask you something about it because I am curious, you know, but it's like I try to avoid because I want to get other things, you know. But, um, <laughs> the one thing I do that I read over and over about it is that it was kind of a, a quickie song that you just dashed off in about 15 minutes and you weren't taking it very seriously. Is that absolutely true? Um, yeah, when I was on my way to a... Um, a flea market. I was, I was, I was into old stuff and antiques and oddities really early on, even when I was a kid in junior high school. And, um, I'm just going to drink some water. Hold on. That's fine. Okay. So, um, yeah, when I was, um, a kid and so I, I used to go to, um, uh, a flea market in uh, English Town, New Jersey, and I'd go four in the morning with my flashlight and say, "What's your dealer's price?" You know, <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I I did that, and uh, I was on my way home, and I, a friend of mine had taken me uh, in a van, you know, with an old old world van, not a cool van that was comfy. It was like a truck. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we're riding, and, but I had always taken um, a guitar or, you know, something with me in case I got an idea for something. I'd always have an instrument with me. And I had this, um, it was called a hop guitar. It was a, a, a tiny guitar and um, I had it with me, and I was on. I had just come off a a forty day fast. No, mm. it was not forty. It was twenty seven days. I had fasted. I wanted to be. I wanted to see what it was like to feel what Jesus did. You know. Mm. So I, I was. Um, I was on this fast, and this fasting 
person, Dr. Bernard Jensen, had a health farm where people went on cleanses and fasts and stuff. I, I was there, and um, I had not eaten for 27 days. And then as I was leaving his health farm, he said, now, make sure you break your fast very, very gradually. And I had been a vegetarian, totally vegetarian. And um, he said, you know, your perfect diet is going to occur to you because you're completely cleansed. And so you're going to know what to eat and what to have. And and so I, I believed him. And <laughs> I went home and, you know, I'm breaking the fast on partially cooked grated carrots and partially cooked grated zucchini and uh, little by little, little juice, you know, and little by little, I'm getting food into my system, which had been, you know, deprived for 27 days. And I mean, nothing but water for those days. Mm -hmm. And not only not water, but it was distilled water. <laughs> so you didn't get one little mineral, mm -hmm. not one little mineral. So there I was breaking the fast and I had gone to this flea market. And just as I was on this, you know, breaking the coming off the fast and on the way back, I was starving and I'm smelling something in the air. And I thought, what is that? That's, Dr. Bernard Jensen said, my perfect diet is going to occur to me, and so I will know what I'm supposed to eat. And he thought that I should not be a vegetarian. He said, my body type, my blood type, everything was pointing that I'm not a good candidate to be a vegetarian. So he said, maybe have meat, you know, once or twice a week and just, you know, introduce it slowly. But here I am coming home from the flea market and I'm hungry and I smell something and we pull into a McDonald's. <laughs> and I said, well, Dr. Jensen said, so I ordered the combo, you know, with the fries and the fiberglass milkshake and everything. And I ate it and no sooner had I finished my last bite and that song was in my head. Wow. <laughs> I know it, it sounds absolutely ridiculous, but that is the truth. And I went home singing, I got a brand new pair of and, and the reason is, I think it just brought it was something about the aroma that brought back some sort of memory and recall a total kind of when I was learning how to roller skate and my dad was holding the back of the bike and the, the training wheels and, and he had let go and I'd hear his voice and the whole thing came back to me and and that the song had to do with those memories. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. The, the other part of the story where, you know, your, your craving was for McDonald's hamburger, I guess. Well, or you know, I, I tried eating burgers again. It just didn't happen. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, wow. That was a once in a lifetime. <laughs> no. 
Now, when when you when the story, when the song was done and recorded, did you think hit material, or did you just say, "Oh, it's an album track"? Uh, how did it get chosen to be the single? <laughs> well, you know, again, I didn't think anything of it. I just thought it was like a. I I really thought of it as more like a bluesy ditty. Yeah. You know, kind of. I got a brand new pair. You know, yeah, much yeah. more bluesy. Um. And again, I married my producer, you know, so I'm sitting at the edge of the bed and I'm singing this song and he said, what's that? I said, oh, just something I wrote coming back from the flea market, you know, and he said, oh, well, play that part again. And I played the song and he said, play it again. And he's listening and he said, Melanie, that's a hit. Wow. I went, a hit? You're kidding. <laughs> Because, you know, if that, if that song is a hit, then I'm doomed to be cute for the rest of my life. I was already having problems with heavy underground press. You know, I was being portrayed as, uh, you know, just a bit of Woodstock fluff. Yeah, know? yeah. That didn't mean anything. You know, I, they had, um, at that point, they had... Um, Rolling Stone was always portraying me as if I was just just <laughs> a, a, a joke, you know, just about a joke. Wow. Right up there with, um, you know, Bobby Sherman and, yeah, yeah. you know, people, uh, not that there's anything wrong with Bobby Sherman, but you know how they make somebody look ridiculous. You yeah, know? but a lot of those people, make anybody look yeah, ridiculous. if you're saying like Bobby Sherman, I equate him with like Partridge Family and Archie's and stuff where it's kind of constructed, you know, it's not yeah, natural. Yeah, yeah. So I get it. So they were, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, they were treating me as if I was in that. And yeah. I mean, neglecting the, to tell people that I wrote the songs, you know, <laughs> um, and that, is a little different, no. yes. but um, so you know, I was having my issues with heavy underground press. I was not, you know, being talked about as if I was important or you know. I mean, here, here Randy Newman writes a song called "Short People," and that's great, you know. But, but I write "Brand New Key," and it's like silly, you yeah, know, ridiculous, yeah. silly, nonsensical. <laughs> I mean, the song really stands up, you know. That's why yeah. I still love it. I'm, I'm not going to say uh, there was a time when I became a reactionary to it because yeah. it was like all anybody wanted to hear. I'd be in stadiums and oh, they'd want to hear an hour and a half of Brand New Key. <laughs> Well, that's why I was kind of avoiding talking about it. But also, you have talked about it a lot. So I said, well, I'd, I'd rather ask some other things first, you know, and then we can maybe end with it, which is what we're doing. So, you know, it's like... Uh, right, right, right. Um, but, yeah, I get it. You know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's your biggest hit, but at the same time, it can be a bane to your existence, at least for a time, when you want to be taken a little more seriously or maybe want to do some new things, you know, it's like, you know. Right, right, well, it's the next song, you know, you want to do the next song. Yeah. And, um, if you're just saddled with this one thing that you, and, and in fact, I, I mean, even though I had 
multiple hits. Yeah. I've been called a one hit wonder. Yeah, I wouldn't call you that. <laughs> you know, that's that's one thing no, I was well, just I mean, gonna I, say. Is that you know, at least you had a I few had others hit. to fall back on. Yeah. <laughs> before and even before that, yeah. you know, and after and yeah. you know, people recorded my songs yeah. and Ray Charles sang my song. You know, yeah. it's not like um but anyway, but they were trying to make it I mean they were they were beating me down mm-hmm. with a, a sort of a an image that I didn't feel like was accurate yeah. at all. Mm-hmm. But that's the way it was. And I mean, to this day, it gives you a perspective on what the press can do. Yeah, I can. It, you can correct me if you think I'm wrong, uh, but I kind of see you more along the line. There's a documentary I saw recently about Buffy St. Marie. Now, you may not be so protest song-ish, maybe, but it, it, you, you, get, you strike me as having the same sort of vibe, you know, to, you know, somebody who's kind of more natural and, you know, wants to get yeah. her, her songs across, you know. And, you know. Right, right. Yeah, I definitely wasn't being portrayed as anything with any social commentary worthiness about them. Um, and, you know, I, I wasn't out to project that either. Yeah. I, you know, I wasn't determined to be anti-war. In fact, I always said my my stance was more like pro-peace rather than anti-war. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's different. It is, there is something different. Right. I, I wasn't, I never thought of myself, I mean, I probably would have been, uh, survived uh, a little bit more in the intelligentsia, academia circles, had I presented myself with a stance of more defiance. Yeah. But I, I was, you know, I was who I was, and I wasn't going to try to, you know, cater to angry Vietnam protesters, you yeah. know, and I, and I, I, yeah. I, I never had agenda first. It was always yeah. the music first yeah. and, and ha- what I need to say first. Yeah. And even Joan Baez, the one you mentioned earlier, you know, it's like you're, you're similar to her in a certain respect, but again, not so much the protest stuff, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. She, the, both, both of them were more anti-war, and I was more pro-peace. Right. That's <laughs> the difference. But, you know, I always find you all, all three of you, you know, fascinating in your own ways. You know, it's like, you know, and, you know, you were all, it seemed to be true to yourself, you know, in, you know, what you did in career and everything like that, for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, so... I think, uh, you know, as far as if I was career savvy, <laughs> rather than just, you know, who I am, <laughs> uh, then I might have catered more to um, leftists or rightists or something, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. be with a group, because when you're with a group, you're, you, you know, you can... You can take cheap shots, and I'm not saying they did, but you can and get away with it. Yeah. You know, yeah. you you know, so you'll offend fifty percent of the people, but you'll have fifty percent, or maybe at that point, I think more like eighty <laughs> percent of the people will 
think you're just great because you agree with that person and that person agrees with that person and you've got numbers with you. You've got (laughs) statistics. You've got, you know, lots of people who agree. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of people who agree. You could be in Nazi Germany. (laughs) Lots of people agreed. Yeah. Lots of people agreed. And there were a few people who said, wait a minute, <laughs> no. But those people didn't live long. Mm-hmm. Well, we've almost gone about two hours, so let's kind of wrap it up. I'm oh, sure you have other things okay. to do. <laughs> but, uh, got I'll... Got me at a low here. <laughs> but, um, so, uh, I'll let you say it this time. So where are you appearing at the end of April? <laughs> um... Where? Tell me, tell me. I forgot. Oh, okay. All right, all right, okay. Dummies, comics, or something. No, no, no. Okay, so you're doing your first celebrity signing appearance at Schiller Theater Expo, April 28th to 30th, 2023, in Parsippany, New Jersey. And and I also have to plug again that you offered a book, a Beatles list in Charles F. Rosney's book of top 10 Beatles lists. And Charles will also be at the Chiller as well. So, anyway. He better be. Yeah, well, he's advertised. I looked at the list. I mean, you got Mike Love there. You got uh, quite a few people. Uh, you know, so, you know, it should be, yeah. you know, a pretty good uh, turnout, I would say, considering what you got there. So, yeah, so, yep, I'm going to be at Chiller's Theater between April 20-something to the 29th. 28, 29, 30. <laughs> okay, April 29th through the 30th. I am going to be at the Chiller's uh, Theater. and uh, Theater? Is it a theater? It says Chiller Theater Expo is what it's called. It's called Chiller Theater Expo, and I will be there. And I'm so sorry I'm giving you all this editing to do. (laughs) (laughs) I think Um, it's fun. (laughs) I'm I'm I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. It is my first, my virgin, like uh, my virgin experience (laughs) into the world of, uh, and you know, a 76 year old virgin. That's not something to you know. That's pretty big. Anyway, so. Um, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to meeting people again. They may have been, you may have had my poster up and you may be in my age area or older and had my poster up, boys, you know, jerking off to my face or something, (laughs) or girls wishing they could be me. They had no idea. <laughs> and now you can see me how I've aged uh, gracefully, hopefully. <laughs> and um, I will be talking to people and signing things. It's a, I guess, a really unique experience to be able to have that time because even when I do this after a show, um, it's different because you know I've just performed and I'm wiped out and. Uh, you know, I'm anxious to talk to people, but I might also be anxious to go to bed. Right, so, right. <laughs> whereas this is just, that's my purpose. I'm there just to talk to people. This and is a meet and greet. So, any, if you could, um, if you wouldn't mind, would you send me your email so that I can uh, send you the upcoming stuff? 
Sure. Doing. I will text you after we sign off and everything. And uh, okay. let me do it. Let me do a little closing thing, and then you know we could talk a little bit further after we're done here. Okay. okay. So anyway. Um, I want to thank you, Melanie, for being on my fun idea. Fun, I can't even say it. <laughs> Let's do that again. I want to thank you, Melanie, for being on my fun ideas podcast. It was really great to talk to you for the last couple hours. And um, we'll look forward to seeing everyone next time on another episode, again, of Fun Ideas Podcast. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Melanie, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 207 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2022. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night.